Genesis chapter 3. I want to take us to this place of reading. And I've, we've stood so long, I'll let you remain being seated. Let's read some scripture that I hope is familiar to you. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, notice what Satan said to Eve. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? There's a question. It questions the integrity of God. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. That part was true. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat. That was true. The next line she made it up or something. It said, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. I, I want to tell you, I think it is a, a good place to say that if you don't want to have to pay the price of sin, don't start. Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Mom and dad, they just don't understand. It won't hurt one time. What's the big deal? This is the 21st century. You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw with the temptation and the idea. Then she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of the fruit, of its fruit, and ate. She also gave to the husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. Didn't say about wisdom. Didn't say about being like God. It says they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig trees together and made, fig leaves, excuse me, together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? How many of you know God knew exactly where Adam was? He knew where he was. Where are you, Adam? It's time to report. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, and he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree for which I commanded you that you should not eat? How many of you know God knew the answers to those questions? Then the man said, watch this, the blame game begins. It begins and it never ceases to this day. 
when God made man responsible and when he's caught, the first thing he wants, how many of you know you don't have to be taught to try to put the blame on somebody else? Anybody ever here ever try to blame somebody else? Okay, we're going to do that again. Anybody here ever tried to blame somebody else? We're going to try it one more. No, I'm kidding you. <laughs> See, we don't understand. We were born with a sin nature, and our world still thinks in psychological terms that men in their basic form were basically good. The truth is we are not basically good. We are naturally toward the negative because we were born into sin. And we have a bent toward sin in our nature. I've said it for years. How many of you have ever lied? How many have ever cheated? How many have ever told something you shouldn't say? Have you ever done anything wrong? Have you ever gossiped about anybody? Who taught you how to steal and gossip and cheat and all that? Your parents didn't give you five ways to learn it. In your nature, you knew it. We're a fallen nature. We're not basically good, we're basically ill, and we need Christmas because Christmas gave us the Savior. Amen. Who told you were naked? Then the man said, the woman <laughs> who you gave to be with me, she gave me the, of the tree, and I ate. Well, it was true, she ate, and he, he followed suit. Verse 13, and the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, not only did Adam know how to chase the blame, here, look at what she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, listen to these words, because you have done this, and we could, I could take that one word and begin to describe all the evil that Satan has put on this planet. All that he did when he was cast out of heaven, all that he did to God's earth to wreck it and try to ruin it, and still is in the process today. Because you have done this, God said, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. That for me, I don't want you to be offended, but that for me tells me I hate every snake created. I can't stand them, and they may be your pet, and I think you need psychological help. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will intercede for you. Can I take just a moment to say they're sneaky, they're slimy. That eye that's got that diamond in it just looks like the devil to me trying to find a way to bite me. I went to Bangkok years ago on a mission field and the whole group of people that decided I would be the guinea pig and they put a 200-pound python on my shoulders. That thing started squeezing me all over. Don't. Tell me you like a snake. If I see one, it's history. Let's pray about it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Look at verse 15. I'll be through. And I will put enmity. Watch this. He told Satan exactly what would happen. Now he speaks to Satan and at Eve's seed. I will put enmity between you and the woman. 
and between your seed and her seed. And right here, he is Jesus Christ. Right here at the very break, break of creation, he shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. The battle for your soul and mine began that day. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you in the Christmas season, God set it up to where we have a Savior. Father, bless your word, I pray to us today. May it be enriching, Lord, to us as we come to this precious season you've given us. I call it done in Jesus' name, amen. For 20 centuries plus, the entire world for the most part has been under the influence of the Christmas season. And yet the world, by and large, it knows little about what they celebrate. I read a story the other day that even in America, this story, two women with expensive coats, braving the cold, shopping, arms filled with gifts, stopped by a wide window shopping. They looked upon a crash or a nativity scene in the window. And it had the cross and all that. And one lady said to the other, My goodness, look at that. Even the church is trying to get in on the act. In America... There's much to be said, I think, of the lack of truth that is in our world anymore. And even in our own nation today. The more Christmas is secularized, the more it tries to leave Christ out. The more important this text becomes. It may appear odd that I read about this particular time, Genesis 3, about Christmas season. Yet I want to tell you this portion of Scripture is filled with glorious truth about our conquering Lord. Verse 15 tells us that the battle will rage, but up from the very beginning we know who will win the battle. I think it ironic. And don't think me, I may, pastors lost it. I knew it was happening. It finally happened. Just stay with me. Listen to all I say before you judge any part of what I say. I think it ironic that Satan who hates Christmas and the virgin birth and all that goes with it and all the supernatural things that transpired in the coming of the Christ child. I think it ironic that, that here he is, he is really responsible for it all. Pastor, what do you mean? Have you ever considered the miraculous coming of the voice of God and the angel of God to Elizabeth and Zechariah. Suddenly after 400 years of silence, the angel speaks to a lady. And then he comes to Mary and then to Joseph. And a virgin conceives. A decree of taxation goes forth. The inn is the place, the manger where he will lay. The swaddling clothes. The angels make an announcement. The shepherds come to worship. The star shines. The wise men. The gifts. And it was all to fulfill a prophecy from Genesis 3. 
All that happened, I say, to us this year, and it came literally as a backfire upon Satan's plan because he thought he won in Genesis for a while. Ladies and gentlemen, do you think we should celebrate Christmas? I will guarantee you we should celebrate Christmas. I want to make this statement. Maybe even our celebration of Christmas is punishment to Satan for all that he did to try to destroy humanity. Celebrate, you bet I will. Against him, you bet I will. You know why? Because thank God he did not succeed in all our lives. Every year we decorate homes trees, streets all over this nation. We sing songs of miraculous coming of God's Son and share our love with our family and and, and our friends and especially the body of Christ. This Christmas season is always the biggest sale of the year. Don't you know Satan hates that? In Genesis 3, the first 13 verses that we read had Satan had reason to celebrate. You see, he and Eve had a conversation. He and Eve developed a friendship and conspired against God. Satan and Eve decided, young people, please hear these purposeful words this morning. Eve and Satan decided that humanity would become the center of the universe. Life would be all about human beings, and they would rule it. Humanity would be enlightened. Humanity would then take the position of knowledge and rulership, and man could become his own God and do whatever he pleased anytime, any way he wanted. So Eve ate of the fruit, and she gave it to the husband, and he ate it, and Satan thought he had won. Can you let me use my imagination just a moment and perhaps the fallen angels, all the demons that were cast out of heaven prior to this, perhaps they begin to celebrate and hell had finally had its mark. Let me use my imagination also and look to the heavenlies and see the angels of heaven, if they have wings, fold them, bow their heads for a moment. Can you imagine what that moment was like when the Christ came? Let's go back to Genesis. Can you imagine the moment when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit and God says, where are you? One of of those moments, it's one of those moments where the outcome is unknown. Something absolutely unbelievable has taken place. A terrible deed has been done. In Genesis 3, let me say it like this to come to a concept of 2019. God built a house for a man and a woman. Then the intruder came. He tore their house apart and said, I will rule it. It will be mine. He set himself against their offspring and against the family. And the two image bearers of God suddenly had a different image stamped upon them. They were marred. They were impure. They were imperfect. They had a sin nature that changed their countenance. And the glorious covering of the glory of God had been departed and Adam and Eve knew they were naked. 
Here's the scene. The creator and the spoilers stand face to face. What will be this outcome? And Satan temporarily celebrates. But I want you to notice something. The very second verse 14 arrives. The word of God came. Ladies and gentlemen, let's stay with this word. Can you say amen? The word of God came. And in verse 14, God said to Satan, Because you have done this, And immediately, and I want you to catch this, teenagers, grandparents, and everything in between, before the sentence toward Adam and Eve was given, before death was declared as separation from God and the death of the body because of sin, here is the swift, powerful, purposeful mercy of God given to fallen humanity. God pronounced immediately sentence upon Satan. We read it. You will be cursed. You will crawl. You will eat dust. And in verse 15, immediately, he will come and bruise the seed of your head. Your head will bruise him, yes. But I want you to notice, remedy and aid, mercy and grace is immediately proclaimed to fallen humanity. Don't ever accuse God of not being a merciful, fair God. Before Adam and Eve's woes were announced to them, God proclaimed a champion would come and he will do a battle and he will rise to bruise the destroyer in his vital head. It would mean his absolute destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan was punished on the spot. But here's the point I want us to get. At that very moment, mercy was granted to Adam and Eve before they even asked for it. Mercy and grace was there and they hadn't even asked. And the mercy message was given. The destroyer will be fatally wounded by the seed of this woman. And today, in 2019, approximately 3,300 years later than Genesis and about 700 years before the coming of the Christ, Isaiah prophesied it and he said this, he, verse chapter 53, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. And Isaiah goes on in verse 10 to say, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. You know why? You know why why would it please God to bruise his son? I've often asked the question, why didn't God just destroy Adam and Eve and start all over? I can answer that for you. My dad had a son that disappointed him time after time, and he had mercy on me and taught me, and I'm still alive. <laughs> My sons have disobeyed. Grandchildren, that's the reason God didn't give up on Adam and Eve. Because love triumphs everything. Love triumphs all wrong. The blood of Christ covers a multitude of sin. How many of you are glad about that? How many of you are here and you had more than one chance? Two, ten, a hundred? It started even before they asked for forgiveness. And why did it please God to bruise him? 
because he was perfect. He had not sinned, and all manner was tempted like we, yet without sin. And the answer is this, for in bruising God's perfect son, he took our bruises that you and I might be healed. For our benefit, the Christ takes from Satan his victory. The battle will rage from that moment till this. But for our benefit, ladies and gentlemen, God wounded his own son. Let's come to, after 400 years of silence into the New Testament, Luke the physician writes in chapter 4, Jesus at that age was, I think, 12. He went to the synagogue at Nazareth. 700 years later, after Isaiah had wrote this prophecy, and that one that was called he and his, he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel, that one walked into the synagogue and said 700 years before it was ever said by Isaiah, that Christ had arrived and he said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover of sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And that day, Isaiah's prophecy had been fulfilled. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the spirit statement of the reason for the season. Aren't you glad that Christmas didn't just start in Matthew? Jesus came to this world to heal them that are bruised. And I don't have to tell you we're in a bruising world. Bruised by the fall. Totally disappointed and broke the heart of God. I love the old King James Version. It says, and Adam heard the voice of God walking in the garden. I don't know what that says to you, but I hear God's voice walking in the garden. As if I were Adam, I'd be shivering my timbers, wouldn't you? I can't fathom. I can't fathom. Because I know what it is to be smitten with the ugliness of sin. And yet, and yet God's voice called to him and came to him. Not for his destruction, but for his salvation. Bruised by the fall, and immediately Adam and Eve have reason to celebrate. And ladies and gentlemen, we, their descendants, have reason to celebrate Christmas. Why? Before death came mercy. Before death, the promise of deliverance. Before death, the solution of what the enemy had done. It's a call to celebration. And ladies and gentlemen, I am a twice-born child of God. And I will celebrate what God has done till the day I'm not here because it was the undoing of the enemy of my eternal soul. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give the Lord. <laughs> Some celebrated then. So follow me just a few moments. Let's look at some of their celebration. First of all, the Virgin Mary celebrated. Mary poured out her soul 
because Gabriel had announced she would birth the Savior. Look with me, if you will. Let just I want us to go to this scene. Here's a young teenage girl, approximately 14, 15 years of age, history says. Maybe 16 at the most. Here she is, a, a pure, virgin, righteous young lady. And the angel appears to her. I'm in Luke 1. I'm going to go to verse 46. He told her she would conceive. Listen. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Do you know that is still true today? For he who is mighty has done great things for me. How many of you can say that in your life? He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. And he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed Forever, Ladies and gentlemen, God kept his promise. And he still keeps his promise. When Mary heard that, she now knew Genesis 3.15 would be fulfilled. And it was now fulfilled. And that he, this child, would come through her womb and she rejoiced. Can you imagine the effect upon a teenage girl that hears you will birth the Son of God? Young people, ladies and gentlemen, everything about our faith is supernatural. After 400 years the closing of the Old Testament to the opening of the New, where we start to see the celebration of the prophesied 4,000 years coming of God's Son. Everything about our faith being supernatural, 400 years of no word, no miracles, and the virgin birth is announced. How many of you think that perhaps Mary had to have genuine faith I want to just tell you if, you if you don't realize this Christianity is a supernatural faith you're not going to put this in a, in a, on a slide rule and figure it out you're not going to measure it in a, in a test tube from the beginning with the virgin birth in the manger in Bethlehem to a finished work on Calvary, to the promised return of our Father from the right hand of God. The message for us today, that same Jesus by that same power is at work in 2019 in our lives. We're just as important as Adam and Eve were. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm grateful for a supernatural God. I want a God that can do far more than I can do. Don't you? 
I want a God that I can't figure out all the time. I want a God that can surpass all man's mind can conceive. I want someone that we cannot totally understand. I want a God to do more than live and die. I want a God that can do that can conquer death itself. I want a God that can command the created universe and immediately show mercy to my sinful soul. And that's the reason Mary celebrated. A supernatural God was keeping a supernatural promise. Secondly, the celebration of common men. Luke 2 We know it well. We read it all the time. When shepherds came, they saw and they worshipped. Verse 20, when the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. (laughs) These commoners, if you will, were the first allowed to view the birth of God's Son. These unimportant, obscure, common people went back to their place of service telling others about what they had experienced. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an amazing truth that God has allowed common people, if you will, like all of us, to know Him personally. And then to speak His praises to this fallen world. No matter what your lot in life is, if you're in the factory, if you're in the office, if you're in the field, no matter where you are, that is where God desires that you celebrate Christmas. Everyone should celebrate in their place of service 365 days a year. That's our witness. That's our testimony. That's our purpose. Aren't you glad it didn't show God and the first people are always the elites? I want to tell you, Ladies and gentlemen, God loves every human being. And thirdly, I want to talk about the celebration of the angels just a moment. Verses of Luke 2, verses 8 through 13, it talks about the angels. What I want us to notice, because I know we're very familiar with Luke 2, the angels, they had watched God. Form every star, every planet. He watched them cast his creation into their assigned places of shining. These angelic hosts had watched every word that came from his mouth and the Spirit, as Christ spoke it, God thought it, the Christ spoke it, and the Spirit performed it. These angels had watched God create everything. They watch God now bend low from man in his image and form him as God himself was imaged and then breathe into him the breath of life. The angels watched it happen. The angels who wept when for a time it seemed that Satan had stamped his image on God's creatures. I want to stop and say something here. Ladies and gentlemen, what's on the inside of a heart shows on the outside. Our world is so filled with hearts full of bitterness and you can see the cynicism across even the American landscape. Ladies and gentlemen, we need a revival. The angels 
They had watched. They wept. But now, at Luke 2, notice the angels burst forth in praise. And notice what they said. They didn't say sad tidings, bad tidings, negative tidings, good tidings. What kind of joy? Great joy this day in the city of David, the promised Savior of Genesis 3.15. The host of angels recognized when he came, and they joined the celebration, and they said, Glory to God, not in the lowest, but in the highest, on earth now, peace. What kind of will? Goodwill toward men. The mercy of God. And the angels saw it happen. He had promised it. He had promised it. He had promised him. And he had arrived. The mercy giver, the peace giver, the sacrificial lamb was on planet earth. You think we should celebrate Christmas? I think so. The image Satan had stamped upon you and on me now can be put aside. Because the Redeemer has arrived. I want my countenance to reflect the Christ, don't you? One last thing. The celebration of the planet itself. Isaiah 40, probably popularized by Handel's Messiah. Isaiah chapter 40 is some powerful words. It's the celebration of the earth. Because of the fall in the garden... The earth also is in need of redemption. I want to read chapter 40, verse 1. Listen to the message of mercy. Because, ladies and gentlemen, this world's in trouble, but I want to tell you, this mercy-giving, grace-giving, mercy-grace-announcing God, even before we ask for it, looks down the quarters of time, follow me with it, He sees the future even from this point and he says, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness. You know this is John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For every valley shall be exalted and every mountain shall be brought low. The crooked paths will be made straight and the rough places smooth. But the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it all together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And that is what is about to take place on planet Earth. Ladies and gentlemen, we are a supernatural faith, but it is also supernaturally powerful. Satan tries to get us. You've heard me say so many times, the Scripture teaches us that when you see all these things look up, I think he tells us to look up because if we... Look around, it won't be long till we'll be looking down. How many of you know the Christian has to learn to encourage himself, him or herself? How many of you had to learn to encourage yourself? Boy, if you haven't learned that, you better get in the Word. You better get a lot of spirit-filled people around you because I want to tell you, 
Satan will try to discourage you. <laughs> the celebration of the earth. The devil's head was bruised. The Savior's heel was bruised. Humanity is bruised. And the earth, the thorns came. The leaves fall. The animal was slain. The earthquakes and the earth trembles. For it too had been bruised. But Paul in Romans 8, 22 says this, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, waiting for the adoption, the redemption in Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, because of Christmas, because of Calvary, because of triumph over sin, because of a risen Savior, and because of a second coming key, someday soon, the curse on this whole planet will be no more. I love it. It's beautiful to me. I hate sand burrs. Did I mention I don't like snakes? I don't like sand burrs. I don't like snakes. I know what it is to get a sticker and a thorn. But there are parts that are over here in, in earth at this point that is beautiful. Thank God I've got to see some of them. But let me just tell you this. In not too many days from now, God is going to replenish this earth. And he's going to restore it to its original creation. New heavens and new earth. Everybody say, when the end of the earth coming? The end of the earth not coming. The end of the age is. The earth, too, has cause to celebrate. For the incarnate Son of God has stepped into this world. And because he finished his work, creation knows it will one day be recreated. And again, it will be a habitation of righteousness. If you don't believe it, Isaiah talks about it. Daniel, look at all the prophets. A new heaven and a new earth wherein is righteousness. So I want to finish with this. No wonder we come and put a few lights up, set some trees around, put some red flowers around, and we talk about a baby in a manger. We talk about a straw for a scepter. We talk about kings worshiping him. We give credence to the gifts, the miraculous plan of God to keep Herod from destroying the Christ child. Young people, people that tell you that this book is archaic and it's not relative for today, frankly, kindly, just cannot see beyond their own mind. That's where faith comes in. And I want to tell you, every prophecy in this book either has been or it will be fulfilled. And we need to be sure we're on the winning side of it. How many of you believe the prophecies of our God? Don't let Satan tell you how pretty that fruit is. Don't let him tell you how intelligent you're going to be if you submit to temptation. Don't let him tell you how awesome this experience will be because I want to tell you, even in a Christmas sermon, the scripture also says, sin, when it's finished, bring forth death. 
It also says, be sure your sin will find you out. Ladies and gentlemen, nobody gets by with sin, but thank God the blood of Christ redeems us. Amen? Someday soon, there is a triumphant promise. There is a son, a remedy given. There is a cure offered. The Old Testament prophet said, a child is born. A lot of children are born, but of that same son, a son is given. No wonder we can laugh and shout and cry. Ladies and gentlemen, worship, celebrate Christmas? Absolutely. Here's why, and I'm through. Because I don't know what Satan's battling you about today anywhere for any reason, but I can tell you this. There is nothing in creation that cannot be cured by Calvary. There is nothing that cannot be cured by the coming of Christ, the blood of the Lamb. And you and I are in a late day where we can still take advantage of it.